Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. For the director of music on my stringed instruments. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Very, very warm welcome to Reality Church London once again. If I've not met you before, my name is Bijan, the pastor for our church. And today is week three of our study in the book of Habakkuk. We're going to finish today and really excited to look at this passage. So join me now as we pray. And then we'll go ahead and get to work looking at this text. Our God, thank you for the message of Habakkuk that we've encountered over the past few weeks. And so now as we look at chapter 3, the conclusion, we pray that you would give us understanding, that you'd give us insight. And for many of us this morning as we gather, we are hurting, we are struggling. So may you not just give us understanding, but may you give us hope. May this passage encourage us. And most of all, may we be brought to Jesus Christ. And so we pray all this in his name, saying together, amen. Now we've seen over the past couple of weeks that Habakkuk was a prophet writing at a time when there was incredible suffering. Habakkuk's life was hard. And the question that we've been asking each week as a church is, how do you trust God when life is hard? And how does the message of Habakkuk help us to become individuals and also a church that trusts God when life is hard? Now, here in chapter 3, there are some really hard truths. There are things in this passage that when you look at them, they make you uncomfortable. They are hard to sit with. And yet, that's exactly why this chapter is also very hopeful. Because as Habakkuk wrestles with hard truths as he's honest about how he can't understand how what he believes about God fits in with the experience of his life, as he's weighed down by his suffering, what he's able to do is avoid annoying cliches and simplistic conclusions. And instead, as he honestly wrestles with his suffering, discover real hope and real joy that's possible even in the midst of the hardest circumstances. And so if we will patiently sit with Habakkuk in the hard stuff, I think we're going to find hope too. And so let's do that today, looking at Habakkuk chapter 3, and there are four things that I want to show you, four parts of this text that will help us trust God when our life is hard. So today I want to show you fear, joy, strength, and deeds. Those four things will help us trust God when our life is hard. Fear, joy, strength, and deeds. So first, what does this passage tell us about fear? Now, just in case some of you haven't been here over the past couple of weeks, 
To really get our heads around chapter three, I'm gonna briefly (laughs) recap chapters one and two. Quick summary of what's already happened in the story. Habakkuk chapter one, we find the prophet crying out to God. He's lamenting. And basically what he's saying is, God, where are you? Why are you being inactive? There's suffering around him. He's grieved by what he sees happening with his people and his nation. And so he's crying out to God, where are you? How long until you fix this? Eventually, God comes to answer his prayer. But when God answers his prayer, the answer only makes matters worse. God says to Habakkuk, I'm raising up the Babylonians, and they're going to be the ones to execute my justice. And at that point, Habakkuk is left. He's just scratching his head. He's confused. He's disoriented because the Babylonians were even more wicked than Habakkuk's own people. They were a conquering, vicious people. And so Habakkuk is saying, God, you're holy, you're pure, you're from everlasting. Why would you use someone wicked to be the instruments of your justice? And so he's really struggling to make sense of how what he believes fits in with his experience. That's how chapter one ends. A person who's lamenting and is confused by what God is up to. Have you ever been there? Well, that's where Habakkuk was. So we come to chapter two and Habakkuk says, instead of walking away, I'm going to plant my foot and I'm going to actively wait on God because he's got to speak to me. He's got to help me get through this. He's got to give me some answers and some reply for the suffering that I'm going through. And so Habakkuk kind of plants his foot and says, I'm going to wait for God to speak. And then God comes to Habakkuk with a kind of non-answer answer. And as Habakkuk is crying out to God and saying, I need you to speak to me, God basically says, look, the righteous people live by faith. Which is God's way of saying, I'm not going to give you an explanation, but I am giving you an invitation to trust me. To trust in me even when you don't understand what's happening around you or what's happening in your life. The righteous will live by faith, steadfast trust. And so the chapter ends with Habakkuk saying, I don't always understand what God is doing, but I see him in his temple. I know that he's ruling and reigning even when I can't make sense of it. And so the chapter ends with a note of faith. Trust in God even when life is hard. So that's where chapter two ends. And that brings us now to chapter three. What's the result of all of this? And in verse one of the chapter, we're told, as Joy just read the text to us, that the way the story of Habakkuk ends is in prayer. This is a prayer. Chapter 3 is Habakkuk's prayer. But if you look at the very end of the chapter, again, what Joy read to us, it says, for the director of music on my stringed instruments. It's not just a prayer, but it's a song. It's a prayer song. And that notation on my stringed instruments, it's an ancient way of saying this is an upbeat song. This is a kind of song of triumph. This is a kind of song of joy. And so what you have here at the very end is Habakkuk saying, even though my circumstances don't lead to it, I'm going to sing and praise God in prayer. That's where we see him in chapter 3. And what happens in this chapter that we need to learn if we're going to be people who trust God when life is hard? The first thing is Habakkuk acknowledges fear. He acknowledges fear. So look with me, if you would, verse 16. If you have your Bibles open, it may end up on the screen. Verse 16, let me just read to you a few of these lines from the verse. Listen to what Habakkuk says. I heard and my heart pounded. 
My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones. My legs trembled. Habakkuk is describing how he's feeling physically. And what he's saying in effect is this. God has told me that the Babylonians are coming. In other words, Habakkuk is saying, the future is going to be harder than the present. I know that dark days are ahead. I know that suffering is going to ramp up. And the result of that is he's scared. He's saying, my heart is pounding, my lips are quivering. It's almost like a person watching a a horror film. He's looking at what's going to happen in his life and the fear is manifesting itself in his body. He's terrified. And friends, that's the first thing that you need to see. Living by faith doesn't mean that you're sometimes not very afraid. Sometimes to live with faith is to actually be able to see your fear more clearly than you ever had. Faith is not the absence of fear. Here's Habakkuk. He's a prophet. He's talking to God. He's beginning to understand what God is doing in the world. He's trusting God. He says, I see God in his temple. He's living with faith. And his heart is pounding and his legs are trembling and his lips are quivering. He's got faith and he's also afraid. You see, in times of suffering and in moments of spiritual doubt and confusion, sometimes what happens in your life, one of the great temptations, is that you think there's something wrong with you if you're afraid. You think that there's something wrong with your faith, like it's a deficient faith or it's a weak faith if you're scared or if you don't feel joyful all of the time. In those moments, we need to remember Habakkuk, that it's faith and fear, that even though he was trusting in God, he was terrified of what was coming, and he was able to be honest about that. He was able to acknowledge it. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a pastor here in London years ago, puts it this way. The prophet Habakkuk now has his philosophical questions answered. He sees everything clearly, but he's only human. And as he sees the judgments that are coming, he's filled with fear. So for us, to see the truth and to understand the doctrine, well, that's important. But despite our clear understanding, we may still tremble physically. To do so under certain conditions does not mean that you have no faith though the devil will try to persuade you so. If you're ever tempted, remember Habakkuk. Habakkuk understood perfectly, yet he was trembling like a leaf because of the reality that he was, after all, only human. We're human. And so just because we have faith, just because we believe God, just because we trust him, does not mean there aren't moments in our lives where we're filled with fear, we're filled with doubt, we're filled with confusion. And if you're in a season like that, or when you're in a season like that, you may be tempted to say, what's wrong with me? Why is my faith not strong enough? Why am I doubting? And you might get ashamed. In those moments, remember Habakkuk. And remember that it's not faith or fear, but it's often faith and fear.
at the same time. That's where Habakkuk was, and that's the first thing we need to be able to acknowledge if we're going to trust God when our life is hard. It's okay, it's needed, it's encouraged to be honest about your fear. That's the first thing. But the second is even as we're honest in acknowledging our fear, the second thing this passage tells us is that joy is possible. Joy is really possible. Look with me at verse 17. Now, after verse 16, Habakkuk's afraid, we expect verse 17. Look at the passage. Verse 17 says this, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls. Now, we're modern Western people and even though there is a farm in Hagerston Park, that's where my wife and I live, so you see some sheep, most of us don't see sheep or fig tree at all living in a city like London. And so the imagery and the force of what Habakkuk is saying is lost on us. Because Habakkuk, remember, is writing as a person living in an agrarian economy. For there to be no figs producing on the fig tree, for there to be no cattle in the stall, do you know what Habakkuk is saying? Our equivalent is, though the shelves at Sainsbury are all empty and all the money is gone and there are no more jobs to be had. In other words, he's describing a kind of Great Depression. He's describing a world that is literally falling apart and which nothing is as it should be. Everything has gone south and everything is hard. And Habakkuk is describing when the Babylonians come, this is going to be our experience. Everything is going to go south on us. There isn't going to be anything around us to rely on to make our lives better or happier. So verse 17 is painting a very bleak picture. And that's why verse 18 is shocking. Look at verse 18. Even though everything is not as it should be, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of, my, uh, God of my salvation. Here's what Habakkuk is saying. <laughs> when everything falls apart, I can still be joyful in God. I'm going to rejoice in God. And what he's saying, in effect, is there's a joy that's possible for the people of God that isn't rooted in their circumstances. Because if I'm joyful in God, even when I lose everything else, I can't lose him. And so when everything else is lost, I have God. And in that, I, cannot, I can rejoice in God. Now, when you hear this, some of you, when you hear this, you say, that's very inspiring, that's very encouraging. I'm going to rejoice in God. But others who hear it are actually a little bothered. And the reason you're bothered is because it sounds like Habakkuk is living like a Stoic. Stoicism is this attitude towards life that says, I'm not going to pay attention to the things around me, and I'm just going to be a person who connects to the spiritual. And so even if everything is hard, I'm okay because I'm connected to the spiritual. And is that what Habakkuk is doing? Is he trying to minimize his pain or pretend like everything around him that's falling apart doesn't matter? And the answer is no, not at all. In verse 16, he's already been really clear, everything is hard, life is filled with pain. I'm afraid. So what Habakkuk is tapping into here is not a kind of stoicism in which he's pretending everything around him is fine. 
But actually, instead, what he's doing is he's tapping into one of the great spiritual truths of the Bible, that it's possible to have joy even in the midst of sorrow. It's not sorrow or joy, but it's sorrow and joy. Habakkuk is tapping into this theme that's repeated over and over in Scripture, that if you follow God, if your faith is rooted in God that cannot be lost, it's possible to have a joy no matter how tragic your circumstances are. It's possible to have a hope even when there are no cattle in the stall and no figs on the tree. When everything goes south, joy is still possible. That's what Habakkuk is tapping into. If I lose everything, I can't lose him. And that's what I can rejoice in. And friends, let me just say, when you grasp this principle of the Christian faith, that sorrow and joy can and often do exist in the same person at the same time, there's a remarkable kind of freedom. Because, think with me, if you believe that sorrow and joy are opposites, and they can never exist together in the same person at the same time, you'll spend most of your life trying to avoid pain and sorrow and increase your pleasure and joy. And when sorrow and pain come into your life, because they will, they do, you either will try to distract yourself from facing it, or you'll try to minimize what it is that's bothering you. But that never works. And so all we do is we ramp up our distractions and we turn to things to distract us, but it doesn't actually work. And what Habakkuk is tapping into here is a principle of spiritual life that says, you don't have to ignore your pain. You can actually sit in the grief. You can sit with your sorrow and be honest about it and experience a deep joy at the same time. It's sorrow and joy coexisting. It's the truth that the child of God can laugh even when there are tears in your eyes. That's the joy that Habakkuk has seen. Not a joy in circumstances, but a joy in God that cannot be lost because God cannot be lost. And so this is a realistic approach that's honest about suffering and yet hopeful at the same time. Because of that, because sorrow and joy can coexist, verse 19 tells us about strength. Habakkuk's confession of strength. And so look with me now, verse 19, Habakkuk says this, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Now again, it's very beautiful, it's very poetic, but what's Habakkuk describing? If you've ever been hiking, and I don't mean British hiking where you walk from pub to pub on mostly flat ground, but I mean real hiking in mountains, sometimes you may have seen mountain deer who are on the sides of cliffs and what looks like a vertical wall, they're just climbing up safely. And you look at that and you say, how is that possible? And the answer is because mountain deer have feet that are fitted in such a way that terrain that would be dangerous for anyone else are for them just like walking upstairs. And so their feet have been fitted to handle the danger that's in front of them. And what Habakkuk is saying is the Babylonians are coming. Everything is going to fall apart and God is going to give me the strength to get through it. God is not going to deliver me from this trial. 
but he's going to see me safely through it. He's going to give my feet the strength they need to keep me from slipping. He's going to see me through. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once described a time in his life where he was weighed down by grief, by exhaustion, and by sorrow, by by fear. He was so fearful for himself and for his family that he was tempted to give up his work, give up his mission, just to throw in the towel. But in his moment of exhaustion, he went to God in prayer, and he felt like God said to him, not audibly, but very clearly, what Jesus said to his disciples. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, give I my peace to you. And so he said with that promise of God's peace, even in the midst of his fear and his exhaustion, he had the strength to go on. And he had that night of prayer and that experience with God. Three days later, his house was bombed. And as he processed with his family what it was like to have their home, that sense of safety invaded and threatened in that way, he was remarkably calm and peaceful. And when asked about why it was that he had such peace, why it was that he had strength even in the midst of such tragedy, terrorism, He was able to say this, and he preached this in a sermon describing his own experience. Each of us faces circumstances in life that compel us to carry heavy burdens of sorrow. Adversity assails us with thunderous force. Our highest hopes are blasted. Our noblest dreams are shattered. And so, admitting these weighty problems and staggering disappointments. We affirm that Christianity gives us, that God is able to give us, the strength to meet them. He is able to provide inner peace amid outer storms. And that's where Habakkuk was. The last real verse of his story is, God's going to give me the strength to face whatever's coming. My feet are going to be fitted with what I need to make it through the treachery that's ahead of me. God will give me the strength. God will provide the inner peace amid the outer storm. Now, friends, I don't know all that you're facing, and I don't know how God will give you his strength. But I know that he will. And the reason I know that is not just because of what Habakkuk says, but because of what Habakkuk remembers. And that's the last point of our sermon, the deeds that we need to remember if we're going to trust in God when life is hard. This is all the way back to the beginning, verse 2. How can we be honest about our fear, have joy, and know that God will give us strength? Because in verse 2 of the passage, Habakkuk remembers the deeds of God. Let me read to you verse 2. Habakkuk begins his prayer. This is the foundation of the prayer. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Now, that word deeds is really important. The word deeds in the Old Testament specifically refers to moments in the past when God saved and delivered his people. When it looked like the odds were overwhelmingly against them, but even in the last minute, God came through to save his people. And so Habakkuk is in his moment of suffering, crying out to God, and he's remembering, wait, this is a dark night. But we've experienced dark nights before. And God has been with us. 
God has met us. And so in his mind, as he's thinking about the story of his people and the story of God, he remembers there was a time when we were surrounded by Egypt and there was water in front of us, but then God parted the sea and we walked through. God delivered us when it looked like we were dead. So he remembers the Exodus. And then later in Israel's story, he remembers Elijah. Elijah, who was a prophet. Elijah, who was prone to loneliness and depression. And who one day says, I give up. I don't want to do this anymore. And God met him with grace and with kindness and uses Elijah to actually confront the prophets of the enemy and to bring victory in Israel. This man who was tired and had no strength became the agent of God's deliverance. And so Habakkuk, he's thinking and he's remembering the deeds of God, Elijah, the Exodus. He thinks of Naomi. Naomi, whose life was filled with grief and bitterness. She lost everything. And out of the ashes, God brought her a family. God brought her a future. And through her, God brought the Messiah. I mean, so Habakkuk is going back in his mind and he's saying, wait, we've been devastated before and God saved. And so I remember the deeds of God. And that's what enables me to be honest about my fear, to stay joyful even as I'm sorrowful and to know that strength is coming because God's past faithfulness demands my present trust. I remember the deeds of God. And you say, well, that's good for Habakkuk. I mean, he knew his Old Testament. Good for him. But what about us? And friends, don't you see? We can see even more than Habakkuk. Because you see, what he could only see dimly and in the future, we look back and see clearly with faith that the greatest of all God's deeds was still yet to come. It would be the incarnation of Jesus Christ and his life and death and resurrection. That Jesus Christ, his death and his rising is the greatest of all God's deeds. That Jesus is the prophet par excellence. That when you see him, that is what sustains your faith even in the moment of great hardship. Think about Jesus. Here is Habakkuk, fear and joy and yet moving forward in strength. Now think of Jesus. Jesus on the night before his death, what does he do? He acknowledges fear. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he cries out to God as he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Literally feeling it in his body. And he prays to God and he says, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me. I'm terrified. If there's any other way we can do this, please let it be. And so what's Jesus doing as our hero, as our substitute? He's acknowledging his fear. And yet he also is able to say with joy, I surrender to God, my father. And he moves forward to the cross and we're told in scripture that Jesus did so for the joy that was set before him. That Jesus, as he went to the cross to die for sin, to die in your place, he was doing so with joy power. And you know what's fun to think about? What's astounding to think about? What possibly could have brought Jesus joy? I mean, he had everything. This is God himself. What could have been the joy that would bring Jesus to the cross? And the answer is it had to be you. You see, a relationship with you to redeem and to save his people, that was the thing that Jesus had on the other side of the cross that he didn't have before. 
You were the joy that led Jesus to die. You were the joy that brought Jesus to the cross. And so he's acknowledging fear, rejoicing in what's coming, and moving forward with strength. Nevertheless, God, your will be done. Jesus is the ultimate Habakkuk. Jesus trusted life when his, uh, trusted God when his life was ultimately hard. And when you see Jesus doing that for you, when you see him dying on the cross in your place, you know what that means? It doesn't answer all your questions about why you're suffering or why there's evil in the world. But it does mean that your suffering can't be proof that God doesn't love you. He loved you so much that he went to the cross to save you, to be with you even in your hardest moments. And so that we could know deep down that one day everything sad is gonna come untrue. How do we trust God when our life is hard? Ultimately, the answer, we look to Jesus Christ. We see our hero. We see our deliverer. We see the ultimate Habakkuk who gave himself up for us. That's how we trust God when life is hard. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness seems to veil his face, I'll rest on his unchanging grace. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Our God, now, as we sing and prepare for a time of communion, we ask that you would help us to stand on Jesus, to rest in Jesus. Sometimes the world around us does give way. May Jesus be our hope and stay. We pray this now in his name for your glory. Amen.